Did you say the clock is all mine? Yes. The clock? Is that what you said? You know what it means when a preacher looks at the clock? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Good to be with you folks today. I believe it's the first time I've been here at Grace Bible in the Sista Park. And uh, just a pleasure to be here. Lord willing, we'll be back at the end of July. Um, yes, I am from Burn, Indiana. It gets cold there, but we have warm hearts. I hope Dan discovered that. That's a great little Swiss community named after Bern, Switzerland. That's where our ancestors are from. And it has a, a was the clock tower there when you were there five years ago? It, it has a replica clock tower um, of the clock tower in Bern, Switzerland, 170 feet tall, um, right at the intersection of the two main highways, and the clock functions, and a little man comes out, you know, at certain times, and um, I was told that when the uh, clock tower was first constructed, and as I said, it's at the ma- uh, two major intersections, State Highway 218 and uh, U.S. Highway 27, and when it was first constructed, and there's a lot of semi-traffic goes by there, um, uh, one, one trucker was driving through there at the time that the little man came out from the very top, and he called 911. He said, there's a man ready to jump out of the top of the tower. And there have been a few accidents as people have looked up and, and have seen that if they're not used to it. Well, anyhow, um, good to be here with you today. Take your Bibles. Uh, if you have one that actually looks like this, that has real pages in it, uh, you can uh, take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 12. Um, perhaps uh, you have uh, something that looks like this that I assume you probably would have a Bible app on if you don't have one with real pages. You have one with electronic pages, and I'll trust that you are not doing anything else other than reading the Scripture. If I see this going on, I'll know that you're not thumbing through the Scriptures because we're going to stick in that one text. Some of you may use such an old-fashioned version of the Bible like Moses used to use. Um, You may have tablets that you use, so uh, you can maybe look up the Scripture on your tablet. Um, That went by most of you, I I think. Joy has heard that enough that uh, I think maybe I ought to just retire it. Mark chapter 12. We're going to read verses, or I'm going to read verses 38 through 44. This particular uh, event took place between the Palm Sunday triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem and the crucifixion. So it took place during that week between Palm Sunday and and the crucifixion um, on Good Friday. Beginning at verse 38 of Mark chapter 12, as he taught, and he was in the temple area, as he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and, for a show, make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny, calling his disciples to him. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Our Heavenly Father, I pray today that we will open our minds to understand your word. 
uh, we will open our hearts to receive your word, and we will make our wills available to you to do your word, so we won't just be understanders and receivers only, but it will be worked out in our lives uh, upon uh, just the authority of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you've heard the question oftentimes, why don't people attend church? If you ask that question to perhaps particularly nominal church attenders or non-church attenders, why don't people attend church? The answer that comes back often is churches are always asking for money. Actually, the church is about the only place where that accusation is heard. Uh, Imagine... Uh, someone saying, I am never going to go back to my auto mechanic because he's always asking me for money. Or I'm never going to go back to the Dairy Queen in town because every time I go in there, they're always expecting me to give them money. I'm never going back to McDonald's. They're always asking for money. Never going to Walmart. They're always asking for money. Imagine people saying that, but yet they say, I'm never going back to Grace Bible Church because they're always asking for money which I doubt is really true at all. But you shouldn't be apologetic for allowing people to worship through giving. Actually, we we do talk a lot about money in church. It's just not necessarily about the Lord's work when we talk about money in church. Uh, Just hang around and in the coffee time, the donut time, maybe you'll hear uh, people talking about the price of of tickets for a Cubs or a Cardinals game, that they got some really good seats for such a a good price. Um, They might be talking about the price of a gallon of gas. Uh, You might hear them talking about the price of a gallon of milk, a dozen of eggs, what you spent on your most recent gadget or your most recent um, um, uh, two-year cell phone plan. Uh, uh, But we, we seldom discuss money, though, in church as it relates to God. But we do all talk about money. And, and generally, we do it without embarrassment. There's a forgotten beatitude that Paul reminds us of in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Um, we don't see it recorded in the Gospels, but, but uh, he tells us that Jesus gave another beatitude other than the ones that we read about in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Paul said, You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus who said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. That's uh, one of the forgotten Beatitudes. And and that's what a Beatitude is. Blessed is he who does something. Approved by God are those who do this or that. Paul said, Jesus said, Approved by God, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And there's an Old Testament Beatitude as well. Um, Even though Jesus didn't speak these, but there are Beatitudes in the Old Testament. Just look for times where you see blessed. And uh, we read in Proverbs chapter 22, it says, Blessed are those who are generous. That's one of the Beatitudes about money. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. The Old Testament Proverbs says it's blessed Blessed are those who are generous. Now, I know what some of you may be thinking at the moment. Oh, great. We got this visiting preacher, and he's going to give us the sermon on the amount I promise this is not going to be a sermon on the amount. Uh, But it is going to be a sermon on the attitudes. Not beatitudes, but 
our attitudes as it relates to things, that the, the stewardship that God expects of us. And sometimes it's easy for the visiting preacher to come in and do this versus uh, Pastor Trey maybe doing it. And by the way, he didn't ask me to do this. He didn't ask me to preach this sermon. <laughs> and uh, if you don't want me to come back July 28th, just, just, tell, just tell Dan and uh, he'll, he'll find somebody else. It's going to be a sermon about the attitudes about giving. Now, Jesus exposes the hypocrisy of the teachers of the religious law who shamelessly uh, mismanaged the widow's fund that they were responsible for, uh, taking a large cut for themselves. It said that they devoured the widow's houses. They took large cuts for themselves, even cheating women out of their, these widows out of their property uh, while pretending to be pious. Um, Verse 40 talks about that. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Uh, They they pretend to be pious and uh, um, they should be punished most severely for doing this. Jesus pierces them with the arrow of shame um, for calling, uh, by calling attention to a widow they probably were cheating who was bringing her offering that day into the temple courts. Unknown to those bringing their offerings that day, and we read about uh, Jesus was sitting in the temple watching where where the offerings were being put. Um, Unknown to those bringing their offerings, Jesus was there and he was watching. Look at verses 41 to 42 again. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched. Watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. He was watching. Proverbs, going back to Proverbs again, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3 says, The Lord is watching everywhere. And that means he's also watching everyone, keeping his eye on both the evil and the good. On this day, Jesus went to the court of women, uh, which also housed the temple treasury. There were 13 bronze receptacles set around uh, the, the uh, side of the uh, court of the women. 13 bronze receptacles shaped like bells of a trumpet, kind of uh, upside down, trumpet bells. Um, they lined the walls and the contributions would go into the collection box ver- uh, via those receptacles. So you'd put in your coins, there wasn't paper currency in those days. you put in your coins and they'd go down this, this funnel-like tube and they would all go into a collection Box, And that's where Jesus was. That's where he was watching. And I might say he was also listening um, as the contributions were being given. Uh, as I said, coinage was the currency of the day. So the more coins you put in, the more noise your offering made. Uh, may I ask a rather personal question this morning? And again, if it, it offends you, I won't be back July 28th. If Jesus was here watching the offering this morning, would have that made a difference? Ah, but he was here watching this morning. Remember, the Lord is watching everywhere, everyone keeping his eyes on us. We just didn't see him, but he was watching. And the widow didn't see him either. 
There were rich people putting in large amounts. They didn't see him. They, they weren't uh, trying to impress him. They were trying to impress each other. And so they were putting in large amounts. Uh, their many coins would have made quite a clatter as all those coins would go into these bronze receptacles. Um, sometimes we take our loose change uh, to the, the bank and we have them counted in the coin counting machines. That makes a lot of clatter. And so that's what the, these rich people were doing. They were just making a lot of clatter. The more they put in, the bigger the clatter was. Um, Matthew 6, verses 2 through 4 say this, When you give a gift to someone in need, don't shout about it, as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues. In this case, they were putting coins in the trumpets, so to speak. Blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I assure you, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone, don't tell your left hand what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in secret, and your Father, who knows all secrets, will reward you. They didn't really want to follow that verse. They wanted not only their left hand and their right hand to know what each of those hands were doing. They wanted to have all the people who were bringing their offerings beside them and in that, those temple courts hear what they were doing. And perhaps some of them were making quite a show of it. Instead of just putting them all in at once, maybe they were just dropping a handful or two in, um, you know, with a little pause in between so people could hear all the money that was going into those uh, collection receptacles. And then a poor widow came along, and the text says that she dropped in two small copper coins, only a fraction of a penny. Now, those coins, we're, we're told, were actually called lepta, lepta. Um, that's what the coins were called. And uh, one lepton was the smallest Jewish coin in circulation, such as our penny today is the smallest coin in our circulation. Well, one lepton was the smallest Jewish coin in circulation, and one lepton was worth about one-sixty-fourth of a common laborer's daily wages. One-sixty-fourth of a common laborer's daily wages. Or about five minutes of a day's work. That's how much one lepton was worth. So she put in two leptons, which was worth about ten minutes of a, of a worker's daily wages. Her, her two lepta would not have been missed in the temple offering. If she hadn't given anything, it wasn't going to make a difference in the temple offering. But she would have missed participating in the community of God's people. And she wanted to be there to participate. She wanted to be there to worship um, in giving. Now, if the rich had given sacrificially as she did, the temple offering that week would have taken care of of, uh, everything in a a day's time. It would have been enough to take care of all of the temple needs. But Jesus was watching, and I might say listening, um, as he saw her come and put in her two lepta, everything she had, and as he was watching the rich, as they were coming in and putting in uh, all this money and, and listening to all the clatter that was going in there, her coins, instead of making such a clatter, were clank, clank. That was it. She walked away. Jesus was watching, but he was also doing something else while he was sitting there with the disciples. He was calculating, verse 43, calling his disciples to him. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all of the others. 
He has a, a different way of calculating than uh, most of us do. Uh, and uh, anybody in that temple area in the court of the women that day, he said, she has put in more than all of the others. Perhaps he was meaning not only that person and that person, but all of the others combined. All of these big offerings that they've brought, all of this clanging and clattering, she has put in clank, clank, more than all of that added up together. You see, Jesus was calculating the proportion of their offerings rather than the portion of their offerings. Dr. Warren Wiersbe, who has passed away here just uh, recently, said this, People see what is given, but Jesus sees what is left. Let that sink in. Jesus sees what is given. Or people see what is given, but Jesus sees what is left. This incident here teaches us that God doesn't count our offerings. He weighs them. He weighs them to see the weight of the sacrifice that is in them. This widow's offering was a lot if weighed instead of counted. He knew the portion that she gave. It was everything. He knew the portion that the rich had given. They had plenty left over. That's why he could say hers is worth more than the total of all of the offerings that are being brought here today. Winston Churchill, who wasn't necessarily the world's greatest theologian, um, said, said something rather pertinent, however. He, he said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. So, what prompted this extravagance from, from this widow on that day? Well, unlike the wealthy with their noisy offerings, she certainly was not motivated by the pride of giving. Uh, she uh, probably didn't stand there and expect people to listen and put one clank in and then look to see if anybody else was listening or watching and put another clank in. She wasn't motivated by the pride of giving, as many of them were. The rich gave out of their abundance of wealth, but the widow gave out of the abundance of love in her heart. That's what prompted that extravagance on that day, was the love in her heart that she had for God. You see, giving is the pipeline through which love flows. Or at least it's a pipeline, one of the pipelines through which love flows. For God so loved the world, that what did he do? He gave his only Son, that whosoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What prompted the giving of his son, what prompted the extravagance of that gift of his son to us, it was love. For God so loved, and he gave. For this widow so loved that she gave out of the the depth of the love in her heart. The size of her gift counted for less than the size of the heart that she brought to that court of the women that day. God wants the giver's heart as well as the giver's gift. Now, in a couple of days following this event, Jesus was on his way to give his all on the offering box of the cross, which was also prompted by love. He loved the Father so much that he was going to obey the Father. And it was that love for his Father that that 
For the joy of the cross that was set before him, he went and he died for us. Only that kind of love could make his sacrifice possible and acceptable to God. And it was the love that made this widow's offering acceptable to God. It wasn't the amount. It was the love that made it acceptable to God. So-called little gifts, and I say so-called because in God's eyes there are no little gifts when given out of a heart of love. So-called little gifts, which count as nothing among humans, may eclipse those gifts that have value into the millions of dollars. Even the poorest among us can make a worthy offering to God. So little did the widow know, and little did the rich know that Jesus was watching, and Jesus was calculating, and third, and finally, you're going, ooh, good, finally. You just don't know how long the third point's going to take. Okay, so hang in there. Or I am watching the clock. Third, he was commending her. He was watching her, he was calculating her offering, and he, was, he commended her. Verse 44. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all that she had to live on. He commended her for that. Everyone else put in something from what they had to spare. But she, in her need, had nothing to spare. She put in all that she had, everything she had to live on that day. The the rich didn't give up anything to make their donations, really. They had plenty left over. They didn't have to buy less expensive clothes the next day or eat out less uh, that week, or they didn't have to, to drive their donkey another year before getting a new one. They had plenty left over to do all of those things. But it was different with this widow. Her two lepta made very little difference in the daily collection, but it made a huge difference in her daily living. She gave up her daily bite of bread, or perhaps her daily sip of milk, or her daily morsel of honeycomb. She gave up everything. It was all she had to live on until she could earn a little more money to meet her frugal needs. Give us this day our daily bread. By the way, it would have been very difficult for her to make a daily living. Widows were in desperate straits if they didn't have family to take care of them. And we don't know about this widow, whether she had family to to help her with her needs, but there weren't any government programs. And and if if a widow had no family, uh, well, actually, the the apostles uh, addressed that issue, and, and Paul addressed that issue. If they are widows indeed, the church needs to help. Uh, but this was before the church. So we don't know what her circumstances was. All we know is she gave all that she had for living that day. And she was counting on God for her daily bread, her daily needs. She was, she was uh, uh, living off of the lesson of the manna for God to provide each day as she had need. Give us this day our daily bread uh, takes on uh, meaning for her that it doesn't for us. I'm not sure we can really understand that that uh, that plea to give us this day our daily bread in our society like she could have. It, uh, it, it, it doesn't mean much to us who stock our shelves with so much food that we sometimes have to throw it away because it's spoiled. Or we sometimes have to clean out our refrigerators because uh, um, there's just too much in there. Uh, 
uh, her offering did not make a lot of noise nor a lot of difference. What made her offering distinctive was the lack of noise it made. But from the two clanks in the treasury trumpet comes the response from Jesus, she has given more than all the others. He commended her. Now, this was not passed from Jesus to the widow. This commendation didn't get to the widow. The disciples apparently didn't get up and say, you really impressed Jesus with your offering. She never knew about it. She didn't know as she left the temple courtyard that day that what Jesus had told his disciples about her. In fact, he refused to mar her pure devotion and love and sacrifice of her gift with a word of praise. But the fragrance of her deed of devotion, like uh, the fragrance of the perfume that Mary brought to Jesus, uh, has lingered in the church down through the centuries. And we're still talking about her today. And when she reached her father's house in heaven, she received a rich reward, I am quite sure. Now, no one was going to name a building after this widow. But Jesus and his father look at the giver's heart. And though the world may take note that the record of all the faithful and loving giving and service is kept in heaven. And even though Jesus took note, that offering was passed on to eternal rewards in heaven. The the rich were still rich after they deposited their sizable offerings. But how rich this poor woman's reward must have been in heaven. I obviously can't wait to meet Jesus in heaven. And here's somebody else I can't wait to meet is this widow in heaven. So the next time you think you can't afford to give, remember this nameless widow. Now, Jesus isn't prescribing that all of us have to give everything away today. Liquidate all of our assets. He was describing what this woman did. And he was describing what was in her heart and in in her act of giving. So Jesus isn't prescribing that we all need to do this. He is describing what happens to the heart of a generous giver. What Jesus is prescribing, I believe, what the text is prescribing is that all of us should probably think a little bit more about what we keep and maybe not so much about what we give. Someone has said that there are three giving attitudes. Remember I talked, we said we're going to talk about the attitudes. There are three giving attitudes. One is the grudging attitude. I have to. I have to. Then there's the dutiful attitude. I need to. And then there is the joyful attitude, which was this widow's attitude. I want to. I want to. I I know which attitude best fits her. The joyful attitude. I want to. Which attitude best fits me? Which attitude best fits you? The uh, former pastor of Grace Church in Morton, my predecessor, uh, Milo Nussbaum, who, by the way, is from Bern as well. His wife was from Bern. As my wife was from Bern, in the first 58 years history of the church, uh, the two senior pastors and senior pastors' wives both came from Bern. <laughs> He's a smart man. <laughs> he was a wise man. And I remember him making the, these comparisons, these uh, five comparisons between the tithe and generosity. You know, the tithe, 
He, he made five comparisons between what the tithe is and what generosity is. And the first one he said is the tithe is, discer- the, it, the tithe is determined by what you have received. In other words, I receive this much, 10% goes back to the Lord. Generosity is determined by what you keep. Second, the tithe is motivated by duty. I need to. Generosity is motivated by love. I want to. The tithe is measured by a formula. 10% of X number of dollars, that's a formula. Generosity is measured by sacrifice. Number four, the tithe is a matter of the head. In other words, I've received this much, I give 10%, I calculate it, the formula, it's a matter of the head. Generosity is a matter of 18 inches below the head, the heart. The heart. And number five, the tithe asks, how much can I keep? I can keep 90%, the strict measure of the tithe. Generosity asks, how little should I keep? You know, it's tempting to adjust our giving to our living standards. This widow was adjusting her living to her giving. And she gave all that she had. She wasn't adjusting her giving to her living. She was adjusting her living to her giving. And she went without, perhaps, that day. Or if she had a little bit, she ran out. But she was adjusting what she had to do to give. You know, I wonder if God will say to me one day, Doug, you gave too little. And and maybe he will. But at the same time, I wonder if he might say instead, Doug, you kept too much. You kept too much. Will he maybe not look to see how much I'm giving Because that's proportional. Is he evaluating on portion how much I'm keeping for myself? So the better question to ask then, what percent should I give? Is how can I manage my lifestyle so I can keep less? How can I live with less? It doesn't mean you live with nothing. But how can I live with less? Maybe a little less this year, this week, this month. So I can be more generous than I even am now. Because generosity, you don't reach a certain point until you come to where this widow was and you gave it all. So how can I be a little more generous than I was last week, a little more generous than last month, a little more generous than last year? That, my friends, is a matter of the heart. Not the head, but the heart. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the example of this widow. Um, obviously, Jesus didn't want to call attention to her um, for her uh, um, own pride. He wanted to teach the disciples a lesson. That's why he called them to himself. And he wanted to teach them a lesson uh, about um, sacrificial love. So, Lord, we pray that the word today may have taught us a lesson in some fashion, in some measure, um, about love about the attitude of love that would prompt us to become more generous um, and that we might just determine how we can live with a little bit less 
so we can give you and your work and, and others a little bit more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.